All right. What's going on here? Let's see. It's, uh, what time is it? 6.15. I've never had the highest regard for the quality of Russian aviation. Well, that's not exactly true. Russian aviation. Um, there are aspects of Russian aviation that are very cool, right? They do some great uh, aerobatic airplanes. and mm-hmm. uh, um, they, they do a couple that will fold up for you. Yeah, and uh, and one hopefully of the, when you want them to. One of the mo- no, most more notorious. Um, um, this is actually not funny. Um, one of the more notorious uh, air show uh, failures, uh, crashes, and fatalities was a, a U.S. aerobatics pilot flying a Russian aerobatics aircraft that he was unfamiliar with. And most everybody believes that what happened was that he pushed left rudder when he should have pushed right rudder because the engine goes the other way around. Um, and so as a result, it wants to spin the other way, and he aggravated the stall or the, the spin and uh, and spun it into the ground. So they're oddball airplanes in, in lots of different regards. But their airliners are the ones that I've always been incredibly suspicious of. And, uh, and They're not oddball to them. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. No, I mean, seriously, they're not oddball to them. They're yeah. normal to them. Well, apparently they're normal, because I was reading this story that one of you guys pushed to the list, Jeb, I think, all right? Yeah. About, so... This this literally you know you, talk, you joke about laugh out loud. Right? This made me laugh out loud. All right, let me read the story here. It says uh, uh, passengers on a Russian charter flight forced the pilot to let them off the plane when he attempted to take off with one of the engines on fire. All right, about 150 Russian vacationers were about <laughs> to head home uh, when an engine on the Russian-made Tu-154 and aircraft caught on fire. Now here's where it gets interesting. The airplane which was becoming increasingly hot, taxied around the airport for an hour while emergency crews doused the engine fire, the report said. Now, here it is. You ready? The punchline, as Jeb would say. When the flame was extinguished, the pilot announced that the problem was fixed and they would be taking off, at which point the the passengers demanded they be let off. I just think they were so unagreeable. Passengers are so demanding these days. You know, that's why why if I ever start an airline, it's going to be all cargo. (laughs) Well... Some some airlines kind of consider it that way, one way or the other, you know. But uh, uh, it, does, it doesn't say whether the engine was running normally when they got the fire out. I mean, if the had, engine was running normally, why? I could see the guy being absolutely bonkers, crazy, and 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 deciding yeah. to take off. But at least well, he would have two. Well, <laughs> it had you know, been on fire. <laughs> the, 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 what it, what it was is they they did this on purpose. They wanted to to exercise the the airport CFR assets. But they also wanted to clean out the turbine. You know, you got to wash down the turbine every now and then. So they figured they'd just kill two birds with one stone here. So to speak. And, and run the engine up, catch it, throw some raw kerosene in there, let it catch fire, and then they'll just hose it down while it's running. And and the CFR people get their run. They get to chase the airplane around the, around the airport for an hour. And, <laughs> yeah, and everybody's so happy. Is, everybody's I mean, happy except the passengers. About- so this was a combination maintenance and training exercise. Exactly, exactly. Well, and, exactly. and remember, remember that a turbine engine is always on fire. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just usually more contained. Yeah. You, you usually can't see it from the cabin. You know, but <laughs> my instructor once taught me way back in primary training days. Um, you know, the, the question is, you're you're on final and you're trying to decide whether you want to add another not- notch of flaps. And he said, if you're thinking about adding a notch of flaps, you probably want to add a notch of flaps. All right, here's another rule of thumb for you: if if you think you have to call the fire trucks, all right, that's more than a contained fire. Well, uh, it's it's always it's always a good sign when the airplane is not on fire. Yeah, okay. Okay. This That's always true. a good sign. 
At least nowhere where you can see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there's that too. All right. So, so the uh, passengers uh, said, "No, nah, we don't think so." And I, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't blame them a bit. I mean, uh, not that any of them would necessarily be experts, but uh, we really don't know how engulfed that that fire was. If it had been, you know, wrapped around the wing spar or something like that for a while before they put it out. Yeah, I don't, yeah, that's heat. That's heat treating outside the lab. David, I'm sorry, David. There's no, there's no level of on fire which is okay to continue the flight. <laughs> and remember that the safest maneuver in aviation is a dead stick takeoff. That's right. That's right. The, the, you know, all takeoffs are optional. All landings are mandatory. Mandatory. That's right. Yeah, I know. This is what I'm saying. All right. So, so, anyways, the uh, the. Uh, the passengers rebelled and said, no, we'd rather not take off after the airplane's been on fire. Now, um, you know, it's interesting that they got away with that in, in the former Soviet Republic, uh, what is now Russia, because if that had happened over here, they would still be, have TSA, FBI, Department of Homeland Security, Secret Service, and somebody from DOD interviewing all those passengers wanting to know which one was the terrorist insisted that they not fly the airplane because it had only been on fire on the outside. Yeah, I know. That's right. So there's this other Russian uh, uh, aviation story, which I'm not sure if it's a continuation of the same story or not, but this is the one about uh, uh, Medvedev's impossible airport ban. Apparently, they're having so many tr- so much trouble with these airplanes that they're thinking of of, of of grounding the fleet, but that would be the whole fleet, and like you know, big major parts of Russia wouldn't be able to you know get from one place to another on airliners. And uh, do you guys know anything about this story? What's what's I, this all about? I don't know how this has been resolved. Um, I saw this; it's been about oh, a month or right. so ago. Like, yeah, it's like almost yeah. a month. Yeah. Yeah, but, I don't know. You know, again, how it's been resolved, but uh, um, basically, the, the the Russian government, according to the story. Uh, decided that um, they need to ground some Soviet-made aircraft, specifically the uh, well. The story mentions the AN-24 turboprop and the TU-134 jet uh, as as being candidates for being grounded. The upshot of all that is that that those are really the workhorses. Some of the workhorses of the Russian Russian airline fleet, serving some very out of the way uh, uh, areas like Siberia, etc. And uh, if they you know kind of sort of did that, then there wouldn't be whole lot of airline service. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, I'm kind of wondering why, you know, someone like Embraer or Airbus or uh, um, somebody like that has to step in and say, hey, you know, maybe we, we can work some work a deal or two here. But, you know, what do I know? Well, yeah, except that I'm sure Embraer or, or, or you know, Airbus and them would probably want some money for the airplanes. Well, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, you, you, uh, um, there's got to be a way to handle that, too. Yeah, I guess. I guess. And a couple of carloads of, of, of gold. They got a lot of gold in Russia still. And, and how, how, how many DC-9s and 7-2s are sitting out in the desert here in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, uh, they would take much to refurb them and, and yeah, and get them going. Trade, well, for, trade them for, for some, some of this stuff. They need some three forties or some uh, uh, yeah, some ATRs. ATR seventy twos would be uh-huh. good. Uh, uh-huh. The uh, uh, ATP that British Aerospace yeah. made briefly. Uh, yeah, dash eight would be great for that. ATR stuff. might not be the best choice for for Siberia though. Yeah, actually. well, I mean, dash eight. Dash eights would be great. Dash eights would be good. Sounds to me like you know they'd be good with just about any airplane that hasn't been recently on fire. Well, and there's that. 
there is that. Anyways, one little fire. I mean, geez, <laughs> I that's right. I know you yeah. guys just such stand. Just, they weren't even in the air when it was burning. I mean, yeah. you, you try try to take off with one engine on fire and you never hear the end of it. Oh, I, I know. Hey, welcome, folks, to episode two hundred and forty nine. Two forty nine. We're getting there. Two hundred and forty nine of uh, uncontrolled oh, airspace. The cell, cell. Yeah, I know. Of a general of uh, what is this? Oh, it's uncontrolled airspace. The general aviation podcast. Hey, uh, our stock goes nowhere but up. Clear. You're going to be hearing a little bit of background noise throughout the day, but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's not really no good background noise. That's yeah, right. this, is, this is the best seat in the house. That's right. We got Skyriders now. We got Skyriders now. We got Skyriders now. Skyriders now. Does that say UCAP? I can't. It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> and you're on site, clear around. Turkey National Ground, good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot and Alpha. We're recording this episode on uh, Thursday evening, August 11th, 2011. And uh, my good pals are here in the hangar with me. Dave Higdon's out there. Hi, David. How are you doing tonight? Doing wonderful. Enjoying like the third or fourth day that it didn't get into 100. Man, uh, yeah. like the second day that it didn't even make ninety. It's it's like it's like a different country, except there's no leaves on the trees. Wait, are you serious? The leaves are gone. Uh, they've been gone. They 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 fell off while we were all at Oshkosh. Is that normal for them to go this time of year? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, it looks like late October here. It looked like late October when I got home almost two weeks ago. Hmm. Well, that's I don't know. Is that bad? What are they saying about that kind of thing? Uh, it it was a little thing called like. 42 days of 100 plus and uh, uh, almost double digits of over 110. Uh, th- they basically like thermal shocked the trees and a big wind came along and they all fell off. Yeah. And speaking of losing all your leaves, Jeb Burnside is here too. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that means. I'm not even, I, I don't even want to. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Uh, <laughs> listeners, unless, in case you haven't figured it out, we're all feeling a little wacky tonight. So anything's possible. Hang on. Um, you know, we, we, we may put out the fire and launch anyways. What the heck? Uh, how you doing, Jeb? What's going on? Oh, about the same old, same old. Um, you know, once again, basking in the glow of uh, putting another issue of aviation safety to bed. Um, trying to, yeah, trying to lick my wounds from that and still trying to recover a little bit from Oshkosh. Um, but uh, we haven't had 110 down here, that's for sure. Uh, been getting a good bit of rain. and uh, We uh, even had that the last three days. Yeah, how about that? How about that? Yeah, uh, there, there were two guys that do weather for one of the TV stations that had to Google what that was. Yeah, yeah the great thing about rain is it helps put out the engine fire. That's true. <laughs> it keeps the fire under you, control. You just need to keep taxing around in it. Yeah, okay. That's right. That's All right. All right. Okay. What's going on in aviation here? Let's see now. We and, gotta... and, and we're speaking with whom? Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. And I'm Jack Hodgson. And, uh, yeah, I'm here. And, like I said, we're all feeling wacky. We're actually I mean, as hoping... strange as it is, I wouldn't want to do this with a stranger. At least not any stranger. No, well, and, and not exactly well, strange. Well, we're all pretty strange, but one of us is stranger than most. Well, that goes without saying. Um, and uh, all kidding aside, we are hoping that one of our good friends will be joining us in the hangar in about a half an hour or so. So uh, we'll see how that turns out. Anyways. If there's any way he's listening to this, he will run screaming in the opposite direction. If he's smart, absolutely. If he's smart. 
what else is going on here? Let's see now. The, the Wright brothers weren't the guys, apparently. That's what the story Oh, is. yeah, well. You know. The Wright brothers apparently were not the first ones to do. Guys, that, sh- that ship has sailed. You think yeah, it's just sorry? Yeah. It's just too late to worry about this. Yeah, this, you, you, you missed your opportunity here. Now, what's it, what is the story here? This is up here in Connecticut, I guess, right? Well, this, this has come up before. Yeah, okay. Who? Now, yeah. I, I only glanced at the story because it appeared on the list for me, anyways. It appeared late in today. So, um, the this guy in Bridgeport, I'm just having a really hard time finding the story here. Where did it go? Here it is. And. Bridgeport resident Gustav Whitehead may have flown two years before the Wright brothers. All right. Now, first of all, this from this picture, well, I guess that is a powered aircraft. I see propellers now. Okay. Well, that's uh, a very sophisticated aircraft for the time. <laughs> for the time? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it looks very, very butterfly-ish um, with wing, you know, exterior wing ribs. It and, uh, definitely reminds me of a, uh, of a, uh, Otto Lilienthal type design. Yeah, right, right. Well, who is the other guy who, who, right. you know, some people think may have been, you know, beaten out the Wright brothers. But uh, well, Lilienthal definitely flew for the Wright brothers. He just never did it with an engine. Right. Because the key about the Wright brothers wasn't flying. Lots of guys had flown up to that point. The glider activity and all that kind of thing. The, the trick for the Wright brothers was powered and controlled flight um, is that they figured out how to put an engine on there and they figured out how to actually control the aircraft. So yeah, you could, it started with Octave Chanute. Chanute passed on stuff to Lilienthal, who passed on stuff to the Wright brothers, who figured out that some of the formula was incorrect and redid it and, and uh, developed a wind tunnel and took off from level ground. Right. Which has always been kind of a sticking point that I've never been clear on on this claim. Uh, because there were others that actually flew motorized stuff, except they started from a high point and never got higher than that. Right. Yeah. And that's kind yeah. of a breaker for me. Yeah, yeah well, that's, 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 that's kind of a deal breaker, too. But right. irrespective of all that, the, the Wright brothers had better PR people. Yeah, they were. Okay. I, they definitely had more success with yeah, it. Yeah, this, this battle's been fought, it's been lost, it's been won, depending on where your perspective comes from. Wormer dropped the big one, it's all over, Okay. But, but for the folks up in Bridgeport, I think it's a marvelous idea, and I know some Civil War reenactors that would love to have the outcome changed. Maybe you guys could get together. Yeah. Did yeah. I say that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you did. Yeah. Out, so, uh, out loud, too. Yeah, right. Um, okay, what else? Uh, the uh, Jeb... Jeb, as well as all of us, as well yeah. as all of us, but Jeb yeah. is the one who's really kind of uh, uh, taking the lead on this. Jeb has a new aviation hero. Yes, uh, 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 a, uh, I've never met oh, this I, woman, but apparently a sweet old sweet woman, uh, uh, a longtime pilot by the name of Myrtle Rose. Jeb, tell us about Myrtle Rose, as if Myrtle? everybody hasn't heard of Myrtle by now, because she's yeah, I'm, quite. The, I, she's quite the icon here in the last couple of weeks or yeah. so. Uh, Myrtle Rose is a widowed, seventy-five-year-old. Uh, living in the Chicago suburbs, I presume South South Chicago, maybe West. I don't know. Um, she is a former uh, uh, wing walker, of all things. Uh, and only a few years ago that she stopped doing wing walking performances, but she owns a um, very nicely done uh, Piper J3 Cub, and she flies it from what is essentially her backyard or a small residential airpark, whatever, a little grass strip near her home. And uh, one day last week was out bouncing around uh, in it, blow out the middle cobwebs, and she looked up and there were two F-16s uh, trying to, you know, get a close look at her airplane, according to her. Uh-huh, yeah. And I'm sure she waved and, and, and all this kind of thing, and the F-16s kind of zoomed around a little bit. They were very polite. They didn't, 
according to according to Myrtle, they didn't uh, uh, you know try to disturb her airplane with their wake. Or they were very very conscientious in that regard. And uh, she waved, and and the F-16s kind of you know buzzed around a little bit, then went on about their business, and and she flew home and landed, only to be greeted by apparently local law enforcement and some neighbors. Um, uh, Myrtle Rose had flown her J3 Cub, which, not coincidentally, had a teddy bear strapped in the front seat. This is the part that makes it just work for you, right? Yeah, just, this this is the part that I just really just just, just cinches the whole thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, had apparently violated one of these uh, uh, presidential TFRs. President Obama was in town. Uh, being from Chicago, they when he goes home, they have to put up a TFR. And Rose, you know, just being the the, the average person that she is, um, gets in her airplane as as people are want to do, and goes out flying for the afternoon, and inadvertently, obviously, you know, flies into this TFR, and that's where the F-16s came from. Right. She thought the F-16s were admiring her airplane, which, not coincidentally, also is a is a best in class winner at Oshkosh right. from a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. This and is. Yeah, this is, it's just, you know, perfect. Yeah. So, so this little old lady, 75-year-old lady, um, is, is a threat to national security now because she flew her Piper Cub from a grass strip somewhere near Chicago. So let's go, kind of, you know, a little bit of kidding aside, so let's put this in context. How far into the TFR, do we have any stats about I, exactly I what happened? Did she just clip the corner or did she fly deep into I, it? Or I, ha- I have no idea how, how far into it she went, how long she was in it. Uh, no clue. Uh, that that information is not available, at least not to me yet. Yeah. Okay. But it's, so, it's clear uh, that there was some really quick action on the part of the security forces because you know how risky it was that she might run off and leave them before they got there. Right. That's right. So, now, that's right. What do? And now my next question is: Do we know anything about the sort of status of the enforcement action at this point? I mean, presumably no. she's been grounded and you know all that kind of good stuff. Or, or well, not, I don't remember the look of the video that I just looked at. Yeah. What video did you see? From uh, the AP. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. What What is it, David? What's the video? Well, it's at the link that you got on the uh, in there. Yeah. Okay. But 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 I, I didn't see the video. Even if we could look at it, the listeners wouldn't be able to see it. So ah, sorry. Just, well, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. This uh, is radio. Well, it shows a really attractive oh. airplane with a very attractive uh, uh, woman, uh, Myrtle Rose. And I'd be really surprised if some of the investigators didn't ask for a phone number. Uh, it shows her talking to the camera. She's explaining what happened. Uh, she fires up the little cub, taxis past the camera, goes down the end of the runway, and it gives a shot of her taking off. So, uh, But do we think it, this is a recent video, or we think this is from... Well, yeah, it's recent. It was posted oh, on its five. It was why, like, why would the AP take video of her if it wasn't on this, okay. if it wasn't right. after right. the incident? No, this, is, right. this is related yeah. to the story. Well, okay, it, good, like, good, good. She's good. explaining why this happened or how this happened, yeah. her side of it. Now, leave it to a great friend of aviation, uh, James Fellows. Am I right? It's James, right? James Fellows? James Fellows, yes. Fellows for putting this whole thing into a, a very particular perspective. Um and uh, Jeb, maybe you'll go on with the story and tell us what okay. uh, Fallows' well, perspective here was. Fallows had had Fallows, of course, uh, um, is a fairly well-known writer and, and pilot, and and he's written some books and he's written uh, some a lot of magazine articles and he's got his own blog and all this kind of thing. And, and on his blog earlier this week, or I guess it was maybe last week. I'm not really sh- excuse me, I'm not really sure. Hang on a second. Well, it's been since this happened, so. 
Anyway, Fallows, recently on his blog, um, drew a very, very interesting comparison. It seems that two pilots that um, um, uh, we've talked about here on, on the podcast in the past, uh, Ms., Ms. Rose and um, Senator Jim Inhofe, are both 75 years old. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, Fallows, um, as as uh, I kind of wish, you know, one, one of the three of us had thought of this earlier on, but Fallows asks the question vis-a-vis uh, Inhofe's um, um, enforcement action, shall we say, last year, where he landed on a closed runway and scared some workers and, and all this kind of thing. Um, here's Inhofe as a 75-year-old pilot. Here's, here's Myrtle Rose as another 75-year-old pilot. Have a, a technically another little violation here, allegedly another little uh, violation here, involving uh, her cub and a TFR. How will the FAA handle uh, Ms. Rose? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to use the same kid gloves that they used on, on Inhofe? They're both 75 years old. I can't imagine that there'd be any other reason for the FAA to come down heavy-handedly on, on Ms. Rose. They're both 75 years old. What, what could possibly be the difference between their two situations? Well, the senator nearly killed some people, but Rose is a oh, terrorist, oh, right? Oh, well, and maybe maybe you're, you're the, one of the words in your, just in your statement there has something to do with it also. He was a senator. Yeah, I know. So it will be interesting. I, you, well, know, it, you know, he didn't try to kill anybody. He just had to hopscotch his airplane over right. a work crew. And, and, and obviously that was in the best interest of the equipment on both sides. Yeah, right. I know you guys. We should not get into the uh, Senator Inhofe story again because we'll, well, just, uh, you know. but Mr. Fallows here. Yeah. Uh, it, you Mr. Know, Fallows opened the door. We're just stepping through it. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and, and it's a point well taken. And, and I would certainly hope that the Great Lakes Region Office would take this as seriously as Mr. Fallows does and follow the example of the, uh, I guess that would be the Southwest Region mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that gave Senator Inhofe uh, all the necessary retraining to make sure that he never again hots to hopscotch over a work crew on a runway that was closed when he touched down, just like I'm sure that's a similar kind of little remedial instruction from Ms. Rose is all that's necessary because if they do anything more than that, uh, you know, where's the stall horn? Yeah. 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 Well, there's that too. Um, on the, on the face of it, you know, they both basically, uh, uh, to the extent that either of them are guilty of this, it would seem that that uh, uh, in both instances, the fundamental failure here on on both of their parts was the failure to check notums. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Well, so, yeah, but no, I, I mean, th- that certainly was the common thing in both instances. The difference allegedly, is allegedly, yeah, allegedly. But but let's just assume that's what all happened. What you know, it's what it kind of looks like. The difference is that the senator got himself into a situation where. He nearly killed some people. Um, it could have gone <laughs> There's bad. That, there it is again. <laughs> all right. And, there it is again. All right. But uh, You mean by landing on a runway with a great big X on it? That's going, right. Oh, well, by the time I saw that, it was too late. That's right. Oh, we're, and we're then the, there's a caterpillar. Oops, got to get over that. that that's, that's the situation where the, uh, the, the, uh, the long-experienced airport manager there that day said that it was the most reckless and dangerous. I'm paraphrasing, but he said words to the effect of it was the most reckless and dangerous, dangerous aviation thing he'd ever seen. Okay, So that's the senator. Now, Rose, on the other hand, 
was flying. Well, you know, a, you know how deadly a J three can be. Was flying well, a Cub, like we, just kind of puttering around the sky, and clipped the TFR or flew into the TFR, but did not, in fact, endanger anybody. All right, uh, and in fact, she was probably more endangered by being intercepted by the sixteens. The, the greatest danger throughout any of this involved the teddy bear. How was that? Because there is no telling what some terrorist had stuck inside that teddy bear. I know, yeah. There's no telling what it has been stuffed with. Could be a Skynet teddy bear. Could be be recording everything it sees or hears. Jeb, you're not the only one to be considering uh, Myrtle Rose to be... Uh, or be becoming a folk hero, um, the cool folks at the uh, Lee Bottom Flying Field. The, I love uh, this. this. This is the wonderful, charismatic uh, grass strip uh, uh, on the banks of the Ohio River in, I believe, Indiana. Right, David? That's uh, correct. And uh, they have issued, they're apparently going to have one of their fly-ins this weekend, and they have issued, they've, they've actually put out a press release about the fact that they have issued what they are calling the first ever non-governmental TFR. And uh, to kind of paraphrase it here, they've basically issued a TFR prohibiting um, any military or government uh, uh, stuff, you know, vehicles or airplanes or people within a, what, th- a 30 mile or certain mileage radius of the any, flying any field. Su- here's the, here's the, the, the keeper sentence. Any such unknown or unfamiliar government equipment or representatives attempting to enter the Myrtle Rose TFR number 00001 will be perceived as an extreme terrorist threat and treated as such. Yep. So let, let that be a warning to you. Uh, but let's see. The, uh, and they reprinted, of course, the interception procedures from the AIM. Um, uh, da, 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 da. I, I, I'm just scanning this. I don't see the size and, and dimensions of, of the TFR. Um, but uh, I think it's the right. <laughs> I think it's the, oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, now, ten nautical. It's it's a fifteen nautical mile radius from the surface to, up to and including five thousand feet MSL. Yeah. So that should be a government free zone. This is um, um, August fifteen. Uh, I'm sorry, August nine at eleven hundred UTC through August was, fifteen right. at eleven at eleven hundred UTC. Yeah. So. This is uh, we're reading from uh, from the press release, which is published in their uh, Nordo News uh, uh, website webpage here. So you could go to nordonews.leebottom.com and uh, learn more about this. But uh, but Myrtle Rose is becoming an icon. Um, she's going to be right up there with. Uh, you know what we should do? We should hook her up with Amy for Amy's podcast. That's oh, that would. Yeah, that's a little hint to the be listeners. Uh, like, you know, yes. stay tuned, stay tuned. But that could be that could be a a match right there. Anyways, we uh, well, and, and, and while we're talking about Nordo News and Lee Bottom, uh, just as a heads up, they have a, a a great little antique car and airplane fly in in September. Yes. Yes. Uh, you should check it out. Yeah, and great I destination. Had, I had desperately hoped to go there this year. Um, it's been on my calendar for months. Um, but wood fabric and tailwheels fly in on September 25. I know. And you know what else is that weekend? You know, the, those, those fo- friendly folks at AOPA scheduled their expo for the same weekend. And, 
and because the expo is here in New England, I kind of feel like I want to go and check it out. So I, I would if I, it was that close to me. Yeah. So unfortunately, I'm not going to get to Lee Bottom, but I hear it is an awesome. They do this. They do fly install throughout the summer, but that's their big one in uh, in right. late, late September. Right. And uh, um, I, I'm really bummed that I'm not going to get to go. It's not totally out of the question still, but it's probably out of the question. Anyways, still on my bucket list. Yeah. So. Myrtle Rose, you go, girl. Uh, you know we're with you. I don't know exactly what we might do to help you, but if it's in our power, we're going to do it because uh, you sound like a fascinating pilot, and uh, you got yourself jammed up for no good reason, as far as I can see. And uh, you know we're rooting for you. So, um, and Jeb, I'll, when I come down to visit, I'll bring a bear that you can put in the right seat of the Debbie. And uh, that's a heck of an idea. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I, but I'll have to inspect it, of course. But, yeah, I know because it's just the whole Skynet thing. The whole Skynet thing. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. right. It can barely keep up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, if the bear, if the bear, if the bear, uh, you know, gets too bear close necessity to, was the song. So yeah, no, if the bear gets too close to the Roombas, that's when we have to start worrying here. And, uh, well, yes, there yeah. is that. Anyways, uh-huh. all right. Hey, look who just wandered into the virtual hangar here, uh, a good buddy of the podcast and uh, the man responsible for Dave Higdon being a pilot, um, for which we still haven't quite forgiven him. But uh, Dan Johnson's here. Hi, Dan. How you doing? I haven't quite recovered from that yet either. I, I know. I, I would think that this is something that would just follow you throughout your entire life. Um, but uh, you've gone on to good things anyways. You've done other things that sort of balance the scales a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> So we, we were trying to catch you uh, uh, while we were all out at Oshkosh, and uh, we talked a little bit about the whole LSA thing uh, this year, And uh, but we wanted to kind of get it from the horse's mouth. Um, you know, put on your hat as, uh, as, as head guy at Llama and tell us uh, what's the, what, what happened. What's the latest? How, what's the state of the uh, union, state of the category? Well, uh, the good news right up front and personal is that this was an enormous improvement over AirVenture 2010. Huh. Yeah. Of course, you know, 2010, like 09, we all know too well, was not a very good year for aviation, and it still isn't that great a year in 2011 either. But at least AirVenture proved to be a real move-ahead experience from last year. At one point, I think I had tallied about <clears> – <throat> 25 airplanes that had actively been sold at the show. That means either a contract signed or cash changed hands. Uh, and that's a pretty good number for our sector. Mm-hmm. That's this year, you mean? Yes, just that this year's air venture. Okay, and that's at the show. That's not saying we think we're going to go home and get some orders. This mm-hmm. is this is what we got at the show, and that does not inclusive because I didn't talk with everyone in the sector. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, by any accounts, that's a pretty banner year. A lot of folks, if they go take two orders at the show, consider that a pretty good thing because people don't often come to these shows ready to spend money. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not at least not to pay the whole price on a new airplane. Yeah. Um, of course, they do come to spend money. I need to correct that thought, I guess. But then there was the other side of the coin, which is what I'm saying: future delivery positions. Uh, it's not the sale of something you're going to get now, and that includes companies like Icon and Terrafugia, but it also includes companies like Flight Design and Technum, uh, the latter two being stalwarts of the LSA sector, but they are both invading the GA sector with four-seater aircraft. Hmm. Okay, yeah. But that's- oh, yeah, that, that C4 has really got some great numbers behind it, too. And they would be numbers I'd have trouble with if it was somebody else claiming that they could do it. 
Well, you know, I tried to pin him down myself on that going, well, okay, that does sound great, but, you know, how are you going to defend that when media types come and ask you questions? And actually they had it down pretty good. Uh, the main man, Matthias Beach, a German, uh, says, look, you know, it's the same wing we use on our uh, CTLS high lift, a version they can sell in Europe, and it's the same. Anyway, he just went through the drill. I don't need to do it for him right now, but it's a lot of it is the same kind of things they've already done, and they've already proven some of these things. So there, there's very substantial numbers. For example, a couple of examples that are worthy to note is the uh, useful load of the aircraft is equal to its empty weight. Hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, pretty but, big number. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big and number. And it's a... And cruise is 160 knots, and that's by itself not a bad number, but that's also at uh, you know less than 10 gallons an hour. Uh, and really? MOGAS is going to be possible. And a diesel is coming. So there's some kind of interesting out-of-the-block things for a company that's being the leader in LSA. Got some uh, street cred, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But now it's a very it, – although it comes from the same manufacturer as the LSA, it's a very different airplane. You mentioned that the wing is the same. What, what other similarities are there? Is it the same – is it just a bigger version of the CTLS? Yeah, basically, it's sort of the uh, iPad version of the iPhone in the flight design world, I guess. It's a, it looks a lot like a CTLS. In fact, they said people looked at it and sort of went, oh, I, I didn't think the CTLS was that big. And they had to say, no, it's not. This is the C4. So it looks that similar to it. Yeah. Last week on the podcast, we were talking about um, a, a list, a survey that's apparently yours that was published recently by the GA News, the uh, kind of installed base, if you will, of light sport aircraft. It was, it's an interesting list. Um, we, we, were, we were commenting on the fact that uh, such a great um, lead uh, the CTLS has over the other aircraft in terms of number of what flying in the U.S. aircraft. Is that right? Yeah, yes, so. uh, they do. They're, I think, more than double the next closest. And they did come out of the blocks early, so they got a head head start, uh, you know, over and above everybody else, or right. they achieved one. Yeah, Dave did mention say. that. But, 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 but they've the also maintained it pretty well. I mean, they, they haven't been overtaken. They've been, people have been inching up on them a little bit, but by no means overtaking them. So they've done credibly well in the six and a half years these aircraft have been on the market. Yeah, now now do the, the, the numbers over the last year kind of show that same same uh, mix? Or are, is the, the story, I believe, in GA News was talking about how the fact that the uh, Skycatcher was actually doing well if you just look at the past year. Uh, yes, for uh, for this year, for 2011, Skycatcher is the uh, the lead dog in this race, and uh, that's no real surprise to anyone. They're obviously a capable company to produce airplanes, even if they are doing it in China, and even if that did cause them some fits and starts at the beginning. Um, they And they took a, what they said was at one time over a 1,000 orders for them, so even if a few are waiting to take their delivery positions, uh, they still got plenty of orders they can fill it's just a fast matter of how fast they can crank them out and who's ready to pay the balance i guess mm -hmm. yeah. but uh, so they've done very well but that fact by itself also changed one other dynamic that was a little hidden and that is that for the first time in six and a half years since these things have come on the market we had a half year period when american producers assuming you call cessna an american producer i guess uh outran the uh, imports specifically from eastern europe well, then they're going to still be a, a significant factor. I mean, you know, flight design, Technum, Remos, those are kind of our, and uh, Chexport aircraft, they're uh, some of the big companies in the game, and they're all from Europe 
or Eastern Europe, either one. And so, you know, they're not going away. But because of uh, Cessna doing so well and combined with some other producers like Cub Crafters, uh, Americans finally uh, won the parade for at least a while. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, any new designs? I, I, quite frankly, I wouldn't expect any new designs because the economy is kind of, you know, what it is. But, but you know, um, anything new in LSA over the last year? Well, yes, actually. And, and I guess, you know, partly is, is new something that no one's ever seen anywhere before. I guess that's a real definition of new. But new to the American market is certainly another one. And after a period of uh, a little bit of slowdown in the number of new SLSA coming on the market, we had another little short burst of them. Uh, you know, nothing like an air show like Oshkosh to get people to wrap up a project or something, I guess. And so I think we had six new editions of SLSA just in the last month and a half before mm-hmm. Air Venture started. Now bringing the total to 120 models in six and a half years' time. It's a, it's a pretty amazing flowering of designs. Not that all of those were designed from scratch in that period of time, but they either came to the U.S. market or revised were revised for the U.S. market or were never seen in the U.S. anyway before. So they're new to Americans for sure, and it's a fairly incredible development, I would say, with more to come. Uh, Icon and Terrafugia, two interesting examples that aren't on that list yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything on the horizon that we should be watching for? Are you 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 you're hearing of any new designs or new aircraft that may be appearing in this category? Uh, yes, I hear about them all the time, and I'm kind of loath to speak about them because we've all been in aviation long enough to have heard about new designs coming, and sometimes they make it and sometimes they don't. But uh, there are some interesting new things coming. But what's kind of got the focus of the community right now is – uh, FAA and their plans to start going out and doing compliance audits, but they're also extending an invitation to industry to, if you will, rally to that and and do our own independent third-party auditing, which they've uh, repeatedly said they would rather be the situation. It's a to me, it's an interesting uh, little extra window into the mind of FAA, this giant organization that sprawls all over aviation in the United States with only a few exceptions, skydiving, ultralight 103 airplanes, and some of that kind of do their own thing, balloons. But here's the SLSA or the LSA sector, and it's fully built aircraft uh, that basically operates somewhat outside of FAA. Uh, Not entirely. They're still the regulators, of course, but they they like us using the term self-governing. Uh, and that's a pretty ap- apropos uh, word for the LSA sector. Mm-hmm. So, tell tell us about some uh, some of the new stuff. Was there anything among the new things that uh, you were just talking about that sticks out because it does something different or better than than what's available? Oh yeah, let's talk about aerobatics. Um, we had two examples at Oshkosh. One no one had ever seen before, well, unless you went to the aero show like I got to do in Germany in April where it was introduced, but certainly the first uh, viewing here, that was the SNAP, uh, which is offered from uh, Sport Air USA, the same people behind the Sting and the Sirius and the iCub, three models that have done quite well in the sector. And uh, now they are bringing in the first single-place LSA that we've seen here. There are a few that could qualify in Europe, but they haven't been they haven't achieved that SLSA status uh, yet. And so the first one of those we saw was the Snap, a very interesting uh, design. Uh, it'll be a low production kind of thing, I'm sure. It's it's really aimed at those wanting to um, 
participate in aerobatic flying, but who need an LSA. So that's a new thing. But hand in glove with was a, a very interesting airplane called the FK-12 uh, from Germany. The, the last one, the snap, by the way, is from a company called Dallaire, and they're in Italy. Uh, now to the, the FK-12 Comet, which comes from Germany, and it's FK Light Planes as the producer. Again, this airplane has been available in Europe, but there's going to be an interesting Americanization of it, if you will. This is a bi-wing uh, that is fully capable of aerobatic, but they are installing a Lycoming engine in it for the first time because Lycoming uh, embraces aerobatic operations in their aircraft. Uh, whereas not all engine companies do, and uh, in the LSA sector, I mean. And so that's an interesting airplane, and it's especially interesting not just because it has several different cockpit variations you can choose, but because it's a bi-wing that has folding wings that can be done by one person in about 10 minutes. Hmm. Cool. That's a slick-looking airplane. That is a slick-looking airplane. It really man. got a lot of attention. And, and their, their low-wing, side-by-side, open cockpit thing is... The 14? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. The, the, uh, well, the 14 has been around for a while. In fact, we, we know that one in a manner of speaking as the one-time Cirrus SRS. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how you know that thing. But what, what you're referring to, Dave, uh, we have not seen in this country yet. But if we don't see one of these, I'll, I'll eat my hat eventually because it was just it was the one of the darlings of the German show I mentioned earlier, Arrow, in the south of Germany, in the town of Friedrichshafen. Uh, and it is a Le Mans version of that FK-14, that, similar to the one Cirrus was going to sell. But in your mind, if you can see that airplane and you take off the bubble canopy it has, and instead you put a, not one, but two little windscreens in front of each seat, and behind each pilot, you put one of those little headrest things like you see in some automobiles. And you've got this sort of nestled down in it, uh, open cockpit airplane that looks like it'd go about 200 miles an hour. It doesn't, but it looks like it does. And it just, it just wowed everybody. And really, hmm. all it is is a, is a kind of a different canopy. And they are working that company on a brand new project that we, they wouldn't talk about yet. But they needed something new to go to the show. And they'd had this idea a few years ago. And... They put off. It just looked like gangbusters, and uh, I do have some pictures of it on my website for those that want to go there to bydanjohnson.com. But uh, they called it the Le Mans, and it just was a huge hit there. You know, if you could swap back and forth between that turtle deck setup and the the regular canopy, uh, that puppy would attract some extra attention because it's like if you want to take it out on a cross country trip and make it really slick. Or do you just want to go do the $100 hamburger thing and let your silk scarf hang out all in the same airframe? That would be very hot. Yeah. It would be. You know, and I, I think the complicating factor would be those sort of whatever those are called, uh, Le Mans headrests or something. I'm not sure what the auto term is for those things, but I bet you everybody knows what we're talking about. And and I don't think they would fit underneath the regular canopy day, but that you're right. That'd be a cool thing if they could swap back and forth. And, you know, I mentioned the FK-12, the folding bi-wing. This is from the same company, and that does have multiple cockpit capabilities where you can have them one seat open, one seat closed, two seats open or two seats closed uh, hmm. with a variety of canopy kind of things. So this is a company that might just be able to do that, Dave. Well, looking at the 14 Polaris and the 14 Le Mans, it looks like that that's all they're doing is putting a different canopy on it 
that wraps around behind the pilot and molds into what the fuselage is already there because the front lines and the, uh, the, the seam lines are the same on both airplanes. That yeah, just makes, you know, I think you're right now that I think about that thing. And when I saw it sitting open at the show, I mean, to get into it, you do, you sort of open up the canopy, except that it doesn't look like a canopy. It's a little hard to describe, I guess. Yeah. I'm waving my hands around here furiously just in case you can't see <laughs> So that way, of course, the pilots a, all understand. Yeah, right. So, uh, Dan, before we let you go here, uh, anything else going on in the LSA world or in your world uh, outside of LSA that you uh, want to share with us? What's what's the latest? You don't fly ultralights or, so, or hang light anymore, right? Neither does Dave. But uh, Well... I, I I love the idea of flying hang gliding, but uh, laying down in the prone position, I'm afraid that's something not going to happen anymore. But uh, but I do fly trikes that are just about the same thing, except that you're seated, and that's just works better for my uh, my young body, I'll call it. Yeah, but, no, uh, you do fly those. That's cool. I I, I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, where do you fly those? Oh, yeah. out of? I still love that kind of flying. It's uh, I flew this great little airplane down in Florida before Sun and Fun. It's called the uh, Thermal Light, and it's a super lightweight little trike, uh, but it had a four-stroke engine on it with a single-cylinder four-stroke with electric starting, and it oh, was wow. just a wonderful experience. And the whole thing is available from Australia, delivered to this country, ready to fly for twenty grand. Wow. Cool. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. That's not a bad deal at all. But I guess as an ending note, uh, you asked for something to finish it off, and here's probably a good one. So a lot of people think the whole Part 103 segment is has disappeared. It has not at all. It's you know it, maybe it's sort of underground or something, but it's still out there. One of the airplanes we saw uh, that down in the ultralight area of Air Venture this year was a return of the Aerolite 103. And speaking of low-priced aircraft, here's one ready to fly. It's got a two-stroke engine on it, but a reliable, well-known two-stroke with flaps, with brakes, uh, with electric starting, uh, with some basic instrumentation and a partially enclosed cockpit. The thing flies like crazy, $14,000 ready to fly. Wow. wow. Seriously. That's that great. Serious. Jeb, that could be your airplane right there, Jeb. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. For those people that are just saying, you know, these LSA are too expensive or aviation is too expensive, gosh knows we've all heard that plenty. And indeed, you can spend a lot of money in aviation. I guess we all know that, but uh, we, we, but we have also... heard about that. Yeah, <laughs> you probably talked about that at least once. I'm guessing. But, yeah, <laughs> uh, but I think the truth of it is, is that you know there are still some very attractive little airplanes that you can fly for very little money. Now they're not going to go 200 miles an hour and get you across multiple states in a short afternoon or anything, but they can deliver a whole lot of enjoyment. They've got good records of safety and so forth. And I'm telling you, $14,000, you have to look at it to see what all it is, but it's a nice little airplane. It flies real well at about 55 miles an hour. Yeah. I, I remember the Aerolite 103. I always felt bad that it didn't catch on better than than it did well so, i had some issues with the management ownership of the company and there was kind of a little dispute between a couple of people but that's all settled now that's the original guy that's doing it his name is terry raber and i think it's uh, aerolite-103.com or something like that if i remember correctly and so go have a look at one of those things or check out my site where you can get links to most of these kinds of things and that's what I was just leading up to, Dan. So tell it. So you do, in fact, maintain a really terrific site with all kinds of information about these ca- these uh, uh, categories of aircraft. Uh, tell us what that website is. 
It's bydanjohnson.com. I write articles, and they're by Dan Johnson. So the mm-hmm. name of the website is bydanjohnson.com. Yeah, great. Jeb, uh, David, you were going to say something? Wasn't Terry one of Chuck's minions years ago? Uh, the, guy again, behind, be, be, the guy behind the arrow light, Terry. Wasn't he one of Chuck Slasarczyk's minions before that? Uh Yes, he had uh, operated on uh, – he flew some Hawks before he got involved with this. So, yeah, your memory's good there, Dave. And uh, I think he's not done that for a while. He's kind of known for another product he does, which is a uh, plastic extruded streamlining that the Ultralight group uh, embraced because they were real light ways to streamline round tubing. And he did some other little uh, you know, bits and pieces. He's, he's got a real clean sense of design. When you look at his airplane, you just kind of can't see anything wrong with it and – Everything always looks nice and tidy and proper, so you get kind of a good feeling when you look at him. And by the way, I guess I should say his regular price on that airplane is 17000 3000 of which is for building, and he was offering the building free to those that went to uh, uh, gave him an order at Oshkosh. So you might have to amp all the way up to 17000 to get a fully built, ready-to-fly part, uh, part 103 legal airplane, but that's still you know less than the price of an average automobile in the U.S. Yeah, that's yeah, right, and, and it's a brand-new airplane. Brand spanking new and looking good. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate you taking some time. We saw you online on Skype and uh, and uh, invited you to come into the hangar for a few minutes. And it was it was uh, we're I'm very glad we did. Uh, good information and fun to hear from you. Um, Dan Johnson is the uh, president and chairman of the board for Lama, the Light Aircraft Manufacturers Association, and the head guy at ByDanJohnson.com, where he has all kinds of information about uh, lots of different kinds of airplanes. A very very cool website. Thank you, Dan. Great to join you guys. You're always fun to be with, and we love listening to your show. Keep up the good work, please. Thank, Thank you very you, much. Give our best to Rand, man. Yep. That was great to have Dan stop by like that. Um, we've been kind of faking it on a lot of LSA things over the last couple of weeks, and uh, to get it from the horse's mouth was great. So we thank him for, for stopping by. Uh, what else is going on here? Let's see now. We're uh, actually kind of starting to reach the end of our allotted time here. Um, and we've got a couple things on this list I wanted to talk about. Let's see if I can figure Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. Um, Jeb, I asked you to dig out this email uh, before we yeah, started. Yeah, I, I, I still um, have it. Because we got some really cool news from uh, Dave Shellbetter, uh, our friend down at Sun and Fun Radio down in Florida. And uh, he, he gave us some really interesting stats. Can you read uh, the relevant parts I, I, of that? I will, I will read this. This comes from Dave. It says, according to Dave Pascoe, liveatc.net. Now, Dave Pascoe is the, is the, the guy behind liveatc.net, which uh, uh, people can use to uh, go listen to, to actual ATC audio. Uh, a lot of it live. Some of it you, you can uh, go back and look at archives if there was a f- specific uh, uh, frequency or time of day that you wanted to listen. But anyway, according to Dave uh, Schaubetter, uh Dave Pascoe tells him that liveatc.net and their slash SNF link, SNF, of course, standing for Sun and Fun, has had more than 46,000 hits mm-hmm. uh, yeah. s- listening to Sun and Fun radio uh, since Sun and Fun uh, 2001 ended. Over the last, what, three or four months now, it's been about three months or so uh, when we got this email. So, uh, you know, just a nice little shout-out to, to, to uh, Dave Pascoe for sponsoring all that, but a great shout-out to Dave Schaubetter uh, for, for keeping up that end of it and, yeah, and make, that, making Sun and Fun Radio uh, available 24-7 around the world. Yeah, really, all year round, too, and uh, uh, th- that's just terrific uh, what, what he's been able to do with that. Mm-hmm. They, they 
post uh, a, a lot of the archive stuff from the recent year and even highlights from past years. So there's all kinds of great uh, mm-hmm. archive. You might, might even catch an old an old episode of ours on there some yeah, point. Sadly true, but yeah, that's sadly. You know, yeah. But you should listen anyways. All right. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we sounded much younger then. That's right. Um, I'm I'm also digging for the information, uh, and we should get Shelbetter on on the podcast again sometime soon, so he can give us the real uh, skinny on this. But as I understand it, uh, because Sun and Fun Radio is now uh, on the internet uh, all year round, they are looking for sponsorship to, uh, uh, sponsors to help them underwrite the expense of uh, of this whole thing. And uh, so they've got a number of different uh, uh, sponsorship packages available. Um, and if your business or you as an individual are so inclined to support Sun and Fun Radio this way, uh, you ought to get in touch with Dave Shelbetter and learn more about the different packages that are available. Dave, I gave, you would have sworn you gave me a link to some information about this. Um, but if you were to, at the very least, I must have his email address. Shellbet at AOL.com. Yeah, I, just, I just closed that window. Yeah, Dave Higdon, spell Shellbet for us. S-H-A-L-L-B-E-T at AOL.com. Yeah. And uh, Dave Shellbetter would be more than happy to tell you about the different uh, opportunities to underwrite and support Sun and Fun Radio all throughout the rest of the Are year. you really giving out Dave Shellbetter's email? I think that's the one he gives out. Um, I, but I tell you what, before I actually post this episode to the internet, I will double check with Dave yes. Shellbetter to make sure. There may be an address through Sun and Fun Radio. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah, yeah. yeah. So somehow we will put some sort of email address here in the podcast. Now, the other bit of Sun and Fun news that um, is kind of interesting. So about, I don't know, a month or so ago, sick, uh, 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 maybe more like two months ago, we got news that our Sun and Fun buddy, John Burton, who was the head guy at Sun and Fun and has visited with us on the podcast each year and occasionally um, in the off season, um, became the head of the museum there. The uh, I forget the exact name of that, that, that organization. And I thought that this was just sort of an expansion of his duties um, in addition to the fly-in. But then we got a report uh, about a month ago that there is, in fact, a new guy who is the head guy at the Sun and Fun fly-in. And his name is, uh, let's see now here, any of you guys know it off the top of your head? Uh, it's Leanouts. I don't, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but... Uh, uh, Leanouts. Leanouts, yeah. Yes. Let's see now. Lining, lining Kugel? Yeah, no, 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 no. Hang on a second here. I can actually, this is a link I actually have. Let's just find this here. Uh, Sun and Fun names Leanouts, new president. Uh, John R. Leanouts, it's spelled L-E-E-N-H-O-U-T-S, a 27-year veteran of the United States Navy with a distinguished record of service as a carrier fighter pilot, etc., uh, etc., et uh, has been named the president of Sun and Fun Fly-In Incorporated. Um, and uh, th- this is pretty cool. Uh, do either of you guys know this this gentleman? No, I don't. Yeah, I do he, he's I apparently do a serious pilot. I think he apparently holds the the I don't know record if the record's the right word, but he has the most carrier traps of anybody in the world. Um, really? According to the press release here, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, yeah, here we go. Leanouts holds the distinction of performing more landings or traps in naval nomenclature on an aircraft carrier than any other naval aviator in U.S. history. Really? Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, it's always been my opinion. Why? That, 
you know, I guess he's just a busy guy, you know, and uh, how or good at it, you know. I don't know. He's in. He's in. Well, and Dale Snodgrass, our old air show buddy. Yeah. Uh, when he retired, he was the highest time most traps F fourteen. Right. Pilot. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know, there's different levels of different levels, and you know, most what, traps and, is and, the and, most traps. What aircraft was he flying to get these traps? Well, I don't know, but he's got a huge list in this press release. It talks about uh, him uh, obtained his private pilot license in 1970, accumulated more 10,000 hours as a pilot in command of various military, antique, and civilian aircraft, including, I mean, this is a huge list, A-7, F-14, F-18, A-6, E-2, C-1, C-2. I mean, I'm not even a third of the way through the list yet. Uh, P-3s, T-33s, T-28s, F-16s, F-5s. B-17, B-24s, all the Cessnas, uh, all the Pipers. Um, you know, he's got a lot, a lot of... He must have more than one logbook, I'm guessing. Uh, so, uh, uh, quite an interesting guy, at least from his bio. I'm looking forward to meeting him and uh, uh, and wish him the best as the new head guy at the Sun and Fun Fly-In. Uh, yeah, we look forward to meeting and working with and having, uh, having him on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. so... What's next here? Let's see. He was at Oshkosh too. Was he? Did you, but you didn't get a chance to meet him, obviously, because I asked you that already. They had a press conference where they introduced him, and That's right. I edited That's a right. little piece that went into the paper about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it. It's funny. This was announced the Friday before Oshkosh started. So. Yeah. And uh, and you're right. I, I, now that you mention that, I do recall I there was a there was that thing I was going to go to it and and kind of get in the same room with the guy, but I was. My editor was a slave driver. You were somewhere around the field. Yeah, I was around the field. <laughs> I was uh, between... Well, the editor this year was really, you know... I know, really. Between the column they make yeah. me write and the podcast yeah. they make me edit, you know, yeah. I was kind of like just, tied up. Anyways, so uh, that's some cool sun and fun news. And uh, we've all been starting countdowns to, to AirVenture 2012, but... We need to do a countdown to Sun and Fun 2012. And yes, we do. We have to get a calendar for that. Coming in the spring, watch this space. That's right. About, you know, five, six months now. Yeah. I was actually going to the Sun and Fun uh, website here and see if... Uh, well, that's cheating. You can't do that. If they have, like, a countdown clock or something here. Uh, they don't? <laughs> I don't know. I can't get to the homepage. It's, uh, yeah. All right. Enough of this. David, we found an airplane for you to fly. Okay. Is that on the Oh, boy. I don't think it's on the list. All right. But this was in the forums. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the uh, March 27 to April 1, 2012. There we go. Dun, dun, oh, it dun, ends dun. on April Fool's Day? It does. Whiskey Tangle Foxtrot. <laughs> well, well. <laughs> Ah, that's going to be fun. Yeah. That's going to be fun. Well, All we do right. a well, closing day do think, podcast. Do you, think, do you think people will make jokes of this? Oh, that's true. No. We will do Oh, we're uh, doing we, a podcast that morning. Oh, okay. we're doing a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Oh, we're always so serious. Oh, the, the mind boggles. The mind boggles, yeah. Oh, the mind boggles. Um, so here's the airplane I was talking about. Uh, this is from the forums. Uh, listener Nova Bandit uh, posted uh, a picture uh, of an airplane. He says, a new old take on a ducted fan. All right. So this is basically a great big cylinder. All right. Maybe like uh, uh 
four, five feet in diameter cylinder, all right, with an engine in the middle of it and a propeller at the front of it and wings attached to it and a little bit of a cockpit stuck on the top of it. And uh, looks very much like, well, it also looks like a little bit like a cartoon airplane, but it's a real airplane. And it looks a little bit like the GB in my mind. Um, yeah. has that yeah. kind of that kind of fat, you know, rotund look to it. All right. Um, fat, bo- fat bumblebee body with a mid wing. Okay. Is that, and that's then you, you look at it, it and you say, no fracking way that's going to fly, except yeah. it does. Except yeah, it does. and you know, so it's got this big, big cylinder that um, that the uh, the prop drives uh, air, you know, through the through the fuselage and uh, out and over the uh, the tail on the back. And yeah. There's two big open cockpits on the top. Um, yeah. And uh, why why would you think I wouldn't fly that? I just I don't. I mean, know. It's, first off, it's got two seats. That means somebody can check me out. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and uh, it, by the way, is apparently called a, a Stipa Caproni. Uh, a Stipa, Stipa Caproni. Uh, I'm going to uh, call it the No, Lamb that is not an Italian pasta dish. Yeah, no, there's actually a, a Wikipedia page for it. Uh, the Stipa Caproni, also generally called the Caproni Stipa, big difference, all right, um, important difference, uh, was, it says was, oh, it says was, it doesn't say is, was an experimental Italian aircraft designed in 1932 by Luigi Stipa and built by Caproni. It featured a hollow barrel-shaped fuselage with the engine and propeller completely enclosed by the fuselage. In in essence, the whole fuselage was a single ducted fan, and it goes on. Um, I'm I'm still going to call it the Mandlicker Carcano. The what? <laughs> oh, there's even better pictures on this Wikipedia page. All right, there's one picture. Oh yeah, looking yeah, straight great. down the the, the uh, cylinder, the fuselage here, and there's another one that shows a side view of a different model than the one that uh, that was posted in the forums, and, and this one is much more like a cylinder with seats stuck well, on. Several, the several years ago, there was this aerial toy that was popular at hang gliding sites and kite stores. There was basically nothing. But a hollow sleeve, a cylinder that had a kind of a convex interior surface. Mm-hmm. And when you threw it like a football, it would spin and the sucker would go a long way mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. because of the way the air flowed through. Not over, but through it mm-hmm. while it was spinning like that. So, you know, uh, when you showed me these pictures, uh, the Capone is like, well, that was that toy with an engine put in the middle of it. Yeah. And it, 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 all kidding aside, it's kind of aerodynamically pretty interesting. I wonder, you know, you know, because the... Well, the, the inside, the, the tube, the interior of the fuselage, according to, if you read, you know, some of the details and history of the, of the construction design of this thing, the interior is, is formed to mimic an airfoil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I was wondering by, by about. Air, right? air flowing through the fuselage actually generates lift. Yeah, but because it's because it's a cylinder, it doesn't necessarily generate lift that is upward. It's like comes from all directions. And does it give it good lateral stability as well as lift? Apparently, the thing can't turn. Can't turn. Well, it doesn't want to turn. It, well, that, it, that would it's be a so problem, stable. It, yeah. Well, it's so stable um, in flight. It's also you know really slow uh, for the horsepower. Uh, which is why it never really went anywhere. It, it would probably work a lot better if you could make the fuselage spin. Yeah, that would be the way to go. Of course, the pilot and the co-pilot, 
their head's going to pop off from centrifugal force. I, I would guess that if I took this airplane up, I could get the fuselage to spin. Yeah, I know, right. Yeah. <laughs> Once. <laughs> Once. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the trick would being able to it would be being able to repeat it. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't really want to repeat it. I I'd demonstrate it and I'd jump out. And <laughs> open the parachute. Yeah. Um but uh Yeah, so that's somebody, what you would, you But would yeah, point me in the direction of a checkout and I will give it a shot. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I so and I'll even the, eat life cereal. So much for the Malikir Carcano. Yeah. All right. We've got to wrap this thing up here. We're having way too much fun. Pick something out of the list that you don't want to skip. Anything else you want to do as a main item? No. Nah. No? Well, then shout-outs. Dave, uh, Jeb, what's the shout-out you want to talk about? Oh, okay. Shout-outs. Okay. Well, this one goes out to our good friends at uh, DARPA, the uh, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency or Administration. Or, uh, U.S. Defense, U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Right, which earlier today launched um, its the Falcon hypersonic technology vehicle, the HTV-2. Launched it at around eight this morning West Coast time from Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. Now this is this is um, uh, a vehicle that was placed on top of a, a Minotaur four rocket, and then blasted off and flew to the edge of space. It's designed to separate and then glide back to Earth at up to 20 times the speed of sound uh, back into the atmosphere, pure research, of course, uh, supposed to splash down in the ocean, maybe be retrieved, maybe not. Well, as soon as it was launched, it went missing. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, I didn't get that part of the story. That okay, sucker yeah. is gone. Here's, gone, here's, huh? Um, the, what was the headline? Um, yeah, well, I can't, can't find that particular story. But here's another little story. Um, actually, this is the, the second one of these that DARPA has launched and lost really? in, a, in a similar fashion. Yes. So there's a fleet forming up is what you're saying. Well, well what I'm, what I'm kind of getting at is I don't really think they're lost. Okay. Yeah. I think they know damn well exactly where they are. Uh-huh. Uh, but Skynet has taken them over and they're afraid to tell anybody. That's I know. I know. So Yeah. Um Skynet just got a real boost in capability and speed. Twenty <laughs> Mach Mach twenty, dude. I mean, yeah. come on. I know. That's pretty serious. you know. That's like, you know, Sarasota to Oshkosh pretty quick. Yeah, that would be, you know, it wouldn't be an all day trip, that's yeah. for sure. All right. Well we'll keep um, an eye on that one. That's uh um, that, yeah, you know. all, all contact with the HTV-2 was lost just a few minutes into the flight, and quote and, and quote eerily similar unquote problem occurred during a 2010 test flight of the first HTV-2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, someone out there has got some very very fast uh, aircraft. And you know what the symbol painted on the side of this airplane was? A little stuffed bear. A little stuffed teddy bear. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. David, any shout-outs? Yeah, I got two hidden runs. Go ahead. First off, to the Federal Aviation Administration, congratulations coming to your senses and letting controllers fly in airplane cockpits and see what it's like from our side. Like, we get to visit towers and centers to see what it's like on their side. Really smart. Wow, it's amazing. And just goes to show you that all those people that talk about dumb bureaucrats are just dumb people talking about 
bureaucrats with smart ideas. Way to go. Yeah. This, so this is this is their answer to the pilot shortage, right? They're going to no, no. We're talking about controllers riding on the jump sh- jump seats, right? Well, not just jump seats, uh, although that's that the high high profile one, but this program also put controllers in GA cockpit seats. Ah, okay. And you know, we highly encourage both. Mm-hmm. And the second is to Summer Martell, who lives way out on the West Coast. Uh, I'm not sure how old she is, but her father was a father was a pilot. She grew up around it. Asked to move with her dad, who was living elsewhere. I think her parents were split up. At uh, 16, she got her pilot's license. At 17, and she's going to from uh, from the far West Coast. All the way back to Ohio, and she's flying a uh, really rare biplane that she owes, owns, and now I can't find the bloody name of it. Yeah, I'm looking at the website. I don't see the name on this either, the name of the airplane. Well, that was one of the things that caught my interest was like this 1931 biplane that was uh, at its oh, time. 19, 1931 Student Prince. That's it. Thank you. Never heard of it. I hadn't either, and I looked it up and found out there's a whole history about it. The name Student Prince comes because it was a student design project. Uh, anyway, the ladies love tail draggers. For gals who love the fun of flying tail draggers, they're having their own fly-in uh, out in Ohio this weekend. And uh, Summer Martell flying her Student Prince from the far left coast all the way back to Dayton, birthplace of aviation, to attend this. You know, all the years I've been around this, you'd think I'd stop being surprised at discovering that there's yet another aviation group with some specialty niche, and here it is. And this is all ladies who love to fly tail draggers and, and, and antique airplanes, uh, they've got a Pacific gals, a mountain gals, central gals, eastern gals, international gals. You go, gals. I wish I could be in Dayton this weekend because I have a feeling that I'd not only meet some really interesting aviators, but see some interesting aircraft as well. So, uh, shout out to all of you for it. Hope it goes really well. I only have really one question. What's that? Do any of them fly around with teddy bears strapped in the front seat? I know, yeah. Threatening the president, right? Yeah. I think that's it. Time to stick a fork in this one. Anything else? No? Uh, Big thanks to uh, our buddy Dan Johnson for uh, agreeing to pop into the hangar with us tonight and uh, and fill us in on the uh, the latest uh, from the uh, light sport uh, sector, as he refers to it. Um, it's always fun to have him visit and, and chat with him. Uh, I really want him to talk more about David's past, though. One of these days, we're going to just have him. We're going to have him on and know David. That's what we should. Uh, do. That's what did we I, sh- exactly what we should do. Yeah. Did I never tell you about Dan's tragic incident and and the amnesia it left him with? <laughs> oh no, no. We'll we'll follow up on that one later on. Da- uh, Dan Johnson is an aviation journalist who focuses on the light sport aircraft field. He's also the chairman of the light aircraft. Manufacturers Association. Dave, uh, Dave, even if even if we had heard of that 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 tragic accident, that tragic incident involving DJ, we've heard so many more incidents and stories about you that it really wouldn't matter. That's right. That's right. Um, 
Let's see now. Before I was so rudely interrupted, as DJ told us, uh, you can learn more about Dan at bydanjohnson.com and also at alama, L-A-M-A dot B-Z. Uh, so uh, thanks to Dan. Jeb Burnside is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a great place to start. JEBurnside.com, AEA.net, sometimes AvWeb.com. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. I, for some reason, I'm always amazed when I wander into an FBO and see copies of World Aircraft Sales just sitting there, you know, and just kind of flip through. Oh, there's Dave. Oh, there's Dave. Oh, his byline, anyways. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, which is where you'll find a World Aircraft Sales, uh, the link to the digital magazine, uh, aea.net, uh, that aviation safety something or other. Uh, it'll come to me in a minute. Uh, and, you know, hanging around on uh, uncontrolled airspace. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Someone, had, someone said to me, um, he said, you must not be new at it anymore. You know, he says, we've been listening to you yeah. for five years. I said, well, yeah, okay, I guess it's not. Uh, you can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thank to the thanks to the folks who help us out with this podcast. Jeff Ward for creating our show notes uh, and getting more and more involved in the uh, creation of the podcast uh, in advance as well. Uh, big thanks to uh, Mike Moore. Morgan and Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created the cool uh, audio clips that we use in the podcast. Also, thanks to Mike Morgan for a very, very uh, kind note that he sent us uh, just the other day um, about his yes. kind of reactions to the podcast. And uh, it was very generous what he wrote, and we appreciate that. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, web page of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, do you have something you want to say? Live long, prosper, aviate, navigate, but go fly, because time spent flying, it's not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. A-M-F-F-N. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.